Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Quarantine Break Podcast. Today's guest is Rufus Jones, creator and star of the brilliant Channel 4 comedy Home. I've been a huge fan of Home ever since it first hit our screens in March 2019. The second series released earlier this year was even better. And what better time to catch up on both series on all four right now. Alongside Home, Rufus has appeared in Camping, W1A, Inside Number 9, Flack, Hunderby, Stan and Ollie, The Casual Vacancy, Flying Circus, and loads more. I loved chatting to Rufus. He's such an easy guy to get along with. We chatted about possibilities for Series 3 of Home and its American version with Ben Stiller, plus what he's been watching and doing. Here it comes, and I'll see you again at the end. Hello, Rufus. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm very, very well. Um, the first question, of course, I have to ask you, and I am going to sound like an elderly relative here. Are you well? Are you feeling healthy? <laughs> I, I am feeling healthy. I am. We're all good. I have, I have a, my, my partner and I have four-year-old twins. We're all good. We're all pretty housebound. Mm. I've just taken them for the sort of uh, obligatory sort of hour out in a park outside, directly outside our house. Uh, and we run around and now we're sort of indoors for the rest of the day. So, you know, Disney Plus becomes our sort of nanny, basically. I, I, <laughs> I bought Disney Plus uh, about, about three weeks ago. And looking back, it's kind of, it's kind of the most amazing launch Disney Plus could possibly have had yes, coronavirus because I think I think suddenly people are realizing what we need whether for our children or for ourselves is basically the Disney collection you know <laughs> to keep us keep us sane and optimistic so uh, so yeah that's our sort of uh, midwife at the moment Disney Plus I mean it's good to hear that you're well when you were out in the park were you keeping your Osmonds Keeping your what? Keeping your Osmonds. You have to keep six feet. Uh, Richard Osmond is six feet. Keeping our Osmonds. Funnily enough, in, in, in our house, is keeping our merchants. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but but I accept that Osmond is a... It's kind of metric imperial, you know, Osmond <laughs> yeah. merchant. But, um, uh, yes, we are. Do you know, I, I live in Brighton, and down here, 
uh, everyone, I think, has been quite well behaved. Certainly in the mm. parks, there's quite a police presence as well. So, um, you know, people aren't uh, aren't being too naughty, and two meters feels about right, and no one's sunbathing, you know. But I think on the beach, it's a different scene. I think on the beach, you get you get the nutters who are sort of barbecuing and stuff, mm. and you see that on the ten o'clock news, and that's a bit that's a bit odd. Um, but hopefully, I think the the news is sort of slowly getting through. So, um, yeah, in all honesty, even on a day like this, which is glorious, the the, the park was pretty sparse. It's just parents of kids, basically. So the idea of uh, this podcast is to take a little tea break from the world, which I think is probably needed at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> tea break stroke uh, happy hour, I think, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, um, it's always happy hour now. Um, it is, yeah, yeah. I don't see is. any issue in sort of starting a gin and tonic around le- uh, 11. No, no, you know, no. I think I think right now whatever gets you through the day is pretty much uh, <laughs> legit, you know. Um, but... Oh well, you, you've you've got a mug of tea at the moment. Uh, what, <laughs> oh, what? you think it's tea? So naive, <laughs> so naive. What uh, what what tea do you have? Uh, any particular plan? I've got to let you into a, a, a deep and dastardly secret. I hate tea. No, I, I hate tea. I'm the only I'm the only Englishman I think alive who hates tea. Uh, I don't know where this came from, but it, it revolts me, and that's not too strong a word. I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to hate, the, you know, allow daylight in upon magic. But yeah, I, I love coffee. However, um, coffee's my my thing. Mm. But unfortunately, I drink coffee like I drink tea. So by the end of the day, I'm sort of wired and exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> no one could go near me. Um, so so yes, I should like tea, but sadly, it's just a blind spot for me. That's that's very strange. I, I mean, know, I know. Yeah. Should we wrap it up now? I think so. I mean, it's been lovely <laughs> yeah. to have you on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, so we're using FaceTime uh, today. Uh, the thing on video apps at the moment that's giving me life, just before a call ends, you say goodbye to the person. As the person looks for the hang-up button, that, their smile suddenly disappears and you see yes. their true self. Yes, I know. It makes us realise how, how American we all are because mm. we all kind of plaster on the smile and then... Um, Yes, you're right. As you press off, sort of normal service <laughs> resumes, and you see, you see the clown masks slip. Don't you? Yeah. And are you doing this sort of stuff regularly? Are you uh, are you going on uh, Zoom uh, drinks with friends? Are you doing pub yeah, quizzes? Yeah, I did that on Saturday actually. I, I had a really mm. nice. I was quite cynical about it at first, but I had a, I had a kind of four way Zoom booze up with uh, a couple <laughs> of my friends. Uh, another actor called Rufus, bizarrely enough. Pretty much every, anyone called Rufus is an actor. That uh, <laughs> yes. comes to the territory. Uh, and a guy called Joel Morris, who who's one half of the um, the team that wrote the Ladybird books, the famous Ladybird oh, books you see wow. everywhere. Uh, and we all sort of Joel organised it, and we had a we had a roaring time. It was actually a lot more natural than I thought it would be, mm. oddly. But then I had a I had a business a, a kind of work Zoom uh, sort of meeting with uh, the BBC sort of heads of comedy for a project, uh, which went very well. But to actually be quite formal and sort mm. of have a businessy meeting on Zoom, which is what it's built for, apparently. Yes is almost impossible. Um, I just, I find the sort of the inter, especially when you have multiple voices as you do on business meetings, uh, the multiple voices and, and the lag time, um, everyone interrupting each other mid flow. It was just, it, it's no way to do anything or pitch anything, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> well, I, think, I think we got away with it in that instant, but uh, I won't miss it once we're back to normal life. I mean, it does feel more built for those social things. I guess the only issue is you can't really say no to social things at the moment. No, I'm off yeah. to the theatre, I'm out yeah. for dinner. Those things don't yeah. exist anymore. All the excuses uh, that used to sort of be prevalent don't work anymore. Um, the, the, the particular actors one is uh, whenever you want to f- phone your agent about a job um, and, and work out whether it's gone away or not. And normally the sort of the, the lie is, oh, hi, I'm just checking to see if that thing is still, you know, mm. in the mix because because uh, my month is really filling up and I need to kind of, you know, get that get, get that window cleared. Of course, now there's no such thing as a full month. Um, so <laughs> you just have to be very honest and say, please give me some work. So I think we're probably on day 306 of the lockdown. Um, Feels like it, yeah, yeah. I had 307, but, you know. <laughs> Who's counting? Hey, not um, me. But when I speak to anyone at the moment, they seem to be doing one of two things, either making sourdough bread or banana bread or shaving their head. Where, where are you in this? Uh... <laughs> I bought some sourdough bread. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that counts. Uh, my girlfriend baked a cake the other night. Mm. But we have, we have twin four-year-old girls. So the sort of the fun stuff uh, is slightly not available to us. Or if it is, we have to do it through our children, which is a slightly different experience. I think, I think at the moment the world is divided between people who are finding – this whole thing incredibly boring yes and people who are finding it incredibly stressful because mm. uh you're either looking after t- young children or you're not and uh <laughs> and and while it, it is fine not to have young children and it's something i frankly envy at this stage uh it's, it's you know the coronavirus is a very different experience when you have kids because <laughs> uh you are truly in their service for for 24 hours a day. I mean, I was going to ask you what your biggest challenge has been, but I guess having two four-year-old twins. I mean, to be honest, that was the challenge anyway. It's sort of even in peacetime, it's a pretty pretty heavy load. Uh, But yes, I think sort of now it's all about just keeping keeping them occupied and Mm. keeping them from killing each other and uh and then sort of a few hours a day finding time to work um because i have i have some sort of projects going on and it's very hard to know how to make writing happen frankly at the moment um because uh even if you even if you have an extraordinarily big house or flat and have Mm. that sort of corner of the room i think i think even in this environment it's very hard especially in comedy to sort of let go of everything that's going on and sort of just you know Funny time. It's, uh, it's not quite as available at one's fingertips as it was two months ago. Well, yes, I suppose you're, as, as a comedy writer, you'd be going out, going to pubs, observing people. Well, there's a bit of that. There's also kind of just, yeah, research in a broader sense. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm just embarking on a project now that is about a job that I'm not familiar with particularly, and most people aren't, but it's, it's a kind of really interesting sort of area. But and normally you would, you know, set up phone calls or best, you know, best possibilities sort of meet these people because that's where you really mm. get to know stuff. Uh, but you can't do that now. So everything is remote. So you, whatever you're writing about, you just don't really feel as if you're able to immerse yourself sort of quite as much as mm. one would. Uh, and also, I'm I, for instance, with my show Home, I wrote all of that in in our local library in Brighton. I love I love writing in libraries. I love writing amongst people. I don't like writing privately. Um, I like I like to write where the life where life is going on. Yeah. Um, 
so for me, this is a nightmare because I have to kind of put, put on my noise reduction headphones and just kind of pretend that my children aren't there and just sort of, you know, focus. And and as a result, I, I find it very hard to focus. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I remember, I think, the first week of lockdown and everyone was posting that quote that when Shakespeare was in quarantine from the play, yeah. he wrote King Lear. But And I'm no historian, <laughs> but I assume he wasn't bothered every 30, um, 30 seconds to unlock an iPad. Well, yeah, yeah, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. Although I kind of like to think that maybe the Shakespeare in Love kind of version of Shakespeare got quite close to it. But actually, <laughs> King Lear may have been written just amid sort of hangovers and sort of. Although he wasn't with his, he wasn't with Anne Hathaway at the time. Hey, he went off to London, so he probably didn't really have a sort of relationship to try and maintain. Yeah, God, what a bastard! He had it easy. <laughs> he had it so easy. I also think that's the first time anyone has commented that Shakespeare in Love was historically accurate. So, well, weirdly, I think I think Shakespeare in Love. I mean, the little I know about him, <laughs> but I think it weirdly it emotionally gets closer to a version of Shakespeare that I believe in than a lot of other uh, a lot of other films. Because the Shakespeare it presents is this sort of very scatty. Uh, a kind of womanizing, chaotic character that Joseph mm. finds does, and I think that gets much closer. A bit like sort of Amadeus did with Mozart, mm. gets closer to sort of what genius may look like than the sort of much more sort of sedate, kind of uh, uh, thoughtful, kind of middle-aged bard that that, that Stratford sort of sells you. Yeah. I don't know. I always, I always thought Tom Stoppard got quite close there, but maybe I need to rewatch it. I just, I love that film. I want to watch it right now. Such a feel-good film. It is, it, it, yeah, it is a really good feel-good film. And slightly forgotten now. It's slightly forgotten as a film. People yes. don't sort of raise it up. And it's not really a British film, but it has kind of a very British cast. Mm. And for me, it, it, it tickles the same ivories as, as Four Weddings and a Funeral does. Yes, yes. It was very much of that era. You know, when British film was kind of winning Oscars and stuff. We, we briefly talked about writing, but are you someone that look that looks at what is happening at the moment and think, boy, I need to write about this? <laughs> Generally, no. Uh, I, I mean, the last, well, the last kind of four or five years has been uh, this show Home on Channel 4 mm. for me. And that is something that responds kind of very immediately to world events and sort of events going on here. But I'm not weirdly at heart a sort of political writer i'm not i'm not i don't sort of read the newspaper for ideas and i'm not sort of i'm not inspired by world events generally but i was mm. in that case yeah so maybe i will be again um uh but but the thing i'm writing about at the moment which i'd love to talk to you about i can't it's all sort of under <laughs> rats but um but it, it is less of a sort of contemporary sort of satirical mm. sort of show than 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 home was so I yeah I, I guess it just depends I think a good a good idea is a good idea and yeah. I think if most writers were honest they'd probably say you know you 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 sort of get what you're given a little bit yeah. sort of it's, it's whatever story just kind of blindsides you at 2am you know when you're just kind of up thinking uh, with insomnia whatever sort of hits you as an attractive idea is the one you go for I mean, we're bound to get a lot of quarantine-based dramas and comedies next year. That's my fear. Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. I know. I know. I, I, I think sort of... I think the good money as a writer is to do one of two things. Either you go for that or you do the total opposite and you write something that is completely absurd or completely uh, just in a different sort of world to the one that we find ourselves in at the moment. Mm. 
Um, I think the ones that want to be sort of half in, half out are the ones that probably may not take. But I but I look at shows as like there aren't that many of them, but there are some silly shows on TV at the moment. Like and, and by that I mean brilliantly silly shows. Yeah. Which I think at the moment are the ones everyone will have an appetite for. Um, things like Staff Let's Flats on, oh, on Channel it's 4. Wonderful, isn't which it? is brilliant. Mm. And I think everyone was discovering that. But I think sort of in this environment and possibly sort of going forward, that is exactly the sort of show that people will just have a massive appetite for because yeah. um, it's just, yeah, it, it exists in a world that's slightly sideways to our own rather than <laughs> rather than sort of reflecting anything that's particularly going on. And I think that is a massive strength. I mean, Adam Sandler is definitely going to do a quarantine-based Netflix comedy. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, in the same tone as Uncut Gems, I think. <laughs> sort of shouty, angry Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Or he'll go back yeah. to sort of the the uh, sort of the mid '90s Adam Sandler. You know, he's been pla- <laughs> yeah. he's been planning to break up her with her for weeks. She's That's been right. seeing someone else, but then they're suddenly quarantined together. Yes, or he's quarantined with her and the man he's just caught her having an affair with. <laughs> yeah who One is kevin james yes that's right yeah kevin james perfect sold <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i do want to come on to home shortly uh but one thing as you say it does uh reflect impeccably is you know britain today i mean series two felt like it was filmed the week it aired because it felt so current oh that's good yeah yeah we filmed it in october november funnily enough so actually not that uh, not that previous to mm. transmission because we transmitted sort of February, March and Channel 4, bless them, were very insistent upon that. They kind of said, look, we will try and get it out as soon as possible because it's one of those shows that mm. if you leave it on the shelf too long, you know, just real events will just sort of overtake it. Um, so, yes, we were very fortunate about that and we only sort of, we only really took on big subjects like Brexit sort of in certain scenes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one particular scene in that case but uh you just kind of had to make sure that if when you took on those big subjects that you, you did it in such a way that it would be uh, memorable or would um uh would sort of outlast the news a little bit mm. yeah you can't make it too specific you can't make it because uh, with Brexit, it was such a moving target. Whatever whatever buzzwords or whatever sort of rumours you were hearing in November were just so hopelessly out of date by mm. February, you know. I mean, would you touch um, on COVID-19 and third se- uh, series? I mean, Sammy and Peter locked in that house for 12 weeks yeah. would be spectacular. Well, we had, I mean, we were quite quite a long way down the road for our series three plans. Mm. Um, uh, and then this hit, coronavirus kind of took hold of the national the international sort of story really and and certainly in the medium term nothing will be the same again yeah um uh it's without wanting to make sort of cheap comparisons it's a bit like it's a bit like 9-11 i think was for american tv in the sense that american tv had a massive quite understandable sort of cultural crisis after 9-11 as to to, do we reflect this can we do it tastefully or do we just simply not yeah and i think sort of that is something that every country will have to address in the medium term after this um regardless of mortality rates or anything like that it's just sort of so so many people have lost their jobs whole industries sort of changed so for us it was very weird because our plans some of which still hold water but for a show like home you you couldn't not address this yeah. enormous situation um 
And so we've slightly kind of pulled back on our kind of story writing for Mm. series three. And also, I mean, in the news yesterday, Channel 4 have just pulled 250 million pounds worth of programming. Yeah. Um, They are, it is quite understandably not in a rush to commission anything right now. Yeah. Um, So in a weird way, it gives us a chance to just take stock of what's going on Mm. and once the world is sort of returned to some sort of normality, we can all get around the table and work out if, if there's an appetite for more and what that th- third series would look like. Um, but already I, 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 um, I had a consultant on the show called Hassan Akkad, who uh, is a brilliant man who, who is a Syrian refugee from Damascus. Yeah. He came over here about seven years ago. He, he won a BAFTA, amazingly, for oh, a yes, documentary the, he wrote. Yes, uh, I've seen that experts. documentary. It's amazing, yeah. He's incredible. And I looked him up um, soon afterwards. He was living in Stoke Newington, trying to get his stuff off the ground. He became my main consultant mm. and storyteller, really, for home. A lot of home is, you know, based on his stories and his thoughts. He uh, contacted us two days ago because we were all still really good friends. Uh, he is on a COVID ward mm. uh, down in East London, and he's a cleaner. He basically uh, volunteered to wow. be a cleaner on the COVID ward um, and is doing just I mean, properly heroic work, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, it, it, it's very moving and emotional to see him in those circumstances. And at the same time, with my sort of writer's hat on, you kind of go, well, my God, I mean, <laughs> there's a story right there. I mean, if if Sammy didn't do that, then yeah. what else would he do, you know? So it's... It's fascinating to slowly see these stories unfold a little bit, you know, in front of our eyes and Mm. um, quite knowing how to respond to them in terms of a show. I think it's still up for grabs. You know, as you were saying earlier, you know, there would just be so many crass ways of doing it in terms of sort of, and I'm sure there will be a great sort of, you know, COVID film, you know, comedy probably, (laughs) but I don't know. You'd just be ticking off the obvious jokes right now. Yeah. kind of it'll take a few months to kind of work out where the real stories are and who the real heroes are in a funny old way you know yeah. of this because it's probably not who you think so yeah interesting i read a story actually um about hassan he told you about how he met uh, other refugees through Fortnite. yeah yeah that's uh, that's crazy he did because i'm not a big gamer but we had we had a few a few sort of references to Fortnite in the second series particularly yeah and part of that came out of hassan saying I don't know if it's just me, but when I play and he plays the sort of, you know, international sort of everyone in it sort of Fortnite game, the Battle Royale. Yeah. Um, loads of them, when he gets talking to them, happen to be refugees. <laughs> because as he said, if you're an asylum seeker, you've got a lot, a lot of time on your hands because you can't work. So a lot of these guys, if they have access to a computer, will just, you know, while away their time playing games. And, um, and we started sort of musing about why that might be i mean essentially it's because you know fortnite's a a great game but it's also weirdly because you can walk around in a world you can control (laughs) and and as an asylum seeker or refugee you rarely feel like that you know yeah yeah. so fortnite is oddly even though it's a kind of violent world it's a it's a it's a virtual world where you can change events and you can Mm. uh you can be in charge of your destiny uh, and actually, the real world for a lot of refugees is a frustratingly powerless one, you know. So that was that was an example of the sort of thing Hassan would just sort of 
toss off and you kind of go, oh my God, that's, I would never have thought of that. That's golden and very specific. And mm. he, um, he was jam packed of sort of really fascinating observations, sort of like that. And there's that beautiful scene. Um, I think it was in the last episode where you re really look over how Sammy was playing uh, Fortnite. Um, yeah. and he was just running. I, d- I d- yeah. mean, I don't think I've ever seen that game portrayed in a beautiful, as beautiful way as that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 I, funny enough, of all the research I did, uh, humiliatingly, the research into how <laughs> Fortnite works was some of the greatest, most arduous hours I put in, kind of contacting friends who had sort of sons and daughters who were mm. about 14 and could sort of answer, <laughs> is it possible to kind of walk around? And and in certain gameplay statuses, you know, that you can. And uh, yeah, I kind of like the idea of an, a character peeling off from the fray and just sort of uh, wandering because actually yeah. the, the the environment's quite beautifully crafted. And, um, you know, <laughs> for someone in a certain stage of life, that might be quite nice just to leave the leave the violence and just wander around. Um, so after doing that research, that didn't sort of encourage you to get back into gaming? Or... Oh, mate, I made I made a very definite decision in my 20s. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm older than you, but in, in my <laughs> 20s, so late 90s, there was the, the real sort of explosion of what we'd see as modern games. Things like Medal of Honor and stuff mm. suddenly hit. And I remember a mate of mine, a flatmate of mine, good friend got medal of honor he was really into his computers and i remember playing medal of honor for an afternoon with him mm. and it was so immersive and so kind of it was like a thriller and it, it you get so emotionally involved that i i made a really definite decision never to play it again because <laughs> i can imagine waking up 45 uh, having just played for 20 years you yeah. know and and it, i just knew it would get in my way <laughs> as an actor <laughs> and a writer and um because i'm very addictive as a personality uh so so yes I, I missed out but but my girls are at prime age that basically in about four years i'll be buying them a switch oh, each, and i will be vicariously living through them yeah um so i kind of i, I do look forward to that greatly um, so if you haven't been playing uh, video games, what, what, what have you been doing? At, like, what, what have you been watching these last few weeks? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Um, I have found myself getting enormously tired uh, in the end of an evening. Uh, simply a mixture of childcare and uh, me and my girlfriend and, and then me peeling off to work for a few hours. Mm. It's just, it, it's kind of left me, left my appetite for TV. I'll get into the swing of things, but right now my appetite is slightly blitzed just because... Um, all our sort of energy levels are just so sort of scattered at the moment. Yeah. But one thing, uh, one thing my girlfriend and I have really got into is a thing called Unorthodox on Netflix. Mm. Have you heard about this? No, no. It's a it's an Israeli show, um, uh, Israeli German, but it's a massive phenomenon on Netflix, and it's all about uh, it's a thriller kind yeah. of about a nineteen year old girl who is born into a very very hardcore hasidic jewish community in brooklyn Mm. uh, and is sort of imprisoned there a little bit everyone else in her community is very happy sort of in the hasidic lifestyle but it's not for her and she runs away and uh she she runs away from her husband and her family and takes a plane to germany and the community sends the husband and a sort of hard man of the a sort of like uh, black sheep of the Hasidic community yeah. who smokes and sort of does lots of unorthodox things off to Germany to find her 
and bring her back. And the implication is to bring her back by force. Yeah. And so it's her trying to discover a new life, but under constant threat that she'll be found by this community. Oh my God. And it's, um, it's brilliant because yeah. I didn't know that much. I only knew the headlines of what a Hasidic community uh, looks like and feels like, you know, but this really gets under the skin. And because it's an Israeli show, I'm kind of willing to trust it a little more. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's brilliant. And it's um, it's pretty serious. It's pretty it's pretty tough. <laughs> uh, but it's four episodes, four one hours. You know, mm. so it's quite unorthodox. It's quite weirdly unorthodox for a for a box set. But it means you just rip through it very very quickly. And yeah. me, me and my girlfriend, because um, I I think that's the other thing with quarantine. You kind of have to find something you both want to watch. Yes. Yeah. It feels a bit it feels a bit vulgar to like you know put the kids to bed and then just go to your separate tablets <laughs> yes. and you know and i and i watch a comedy and phil watches something else so so yes unorthodox is something we've really enjoyed mm. um sounds amazing uh, yeah yeah it's on netflix it's a massive breakout hit even though the headlines of it don't sound particularly uh wildly popular you know or populist but it's just done really well i really recommend it um the other thing we've inhaled uh like everyone else in the world is um oh god what's it called uh the tiger king oh yes i mean look you know i, I think after that <laughs> after that nothing we, we almost needed a hard a hard bitten thriller because yes Tiger King sort of was just so absurd and hilarious and then weirdly moving. And for me, it reminded me, even though it's a documentary, it like reminded me of Breaking Bad or yes, one of those American shows that uh, I, I was very influenced by that sort of shows you the, the, the hilariousness of life, the sadness of life, the everything. <laughs> and after Tiger King, you go, I don't know where to go because nothing, nothing presses all the buttons like this does, you know? Yeah, it's a strange, strange show such a multi-hyphenate of a show it's just sort of so <laughs> it's just so everything um and i adored it and uh like everyone it's it's just yeah incredible and so beautifully put together um it's partly put together i think by the, the guys who did uh another netflix show and i'm gonna get the name wrong uh something something country wild wild country was that oh, it? yes i think so which yeah. was a documentary about a cult in mm. middle america yes um and i and if if your uh listeners haven't seen that check that out because that is amazing and so i think sort of there are some just really hardcore documentary makers in america right now <laughs> who are just kind of putting out these shows which are just everything you need from tv right now basically yeah. it's you know the good, the bad, and the ugly of sort of America, you know, the American life. One thing that's brought me joy in these past few weeks is revisiting home. Um, I have watched it again. Oh. It's just a tremendous piece of work. I mean, the performances, oh, the writing is impeccable. Um, obviously, I want to start with you getting naked, uh, which makes me sound a little like your doctor about to check you for coronavirus. <laughs> That's right. Hang on, where do they swab? <laughs> <laughs> a quick disclaimer uh, for listeners, the current test for coronavirus do not require you to get completely naked. There you go. Um, so if you, if someone in a white coat does ask you to get naked, get out of that branch of keels immediately. <laughs> um 
<laughs> but of course you you wrote home you could have written this scene in any way uh you wanted it could have been on a track day you had to drive a lamborghini for reasons um instead you chose to get your penis out while waving a plant around while shout, shouting yeah. parts of ireland uh talk me through the reasoning uh behind that <laughs> talk me through the process yes. <laughs> yeah it's very method based I, I i i have a weird thing when i write i I sort of conveniently forget that I'm in it. Yeah. <laughs> I may have to do these things because if you if you keep thinking of yourself as an actor when you're writing, mm. it just comes out wrong. It comes out vain, and it, uh, I don't know. It, it it just doesn't work. So you, you sort of as a writer, you just kind of write the best scene that you know you could possibly write, sort of in the circumstances. And with this, I thought, well, like we were saying earlier, anything you say about Brexit will probably be quite old by the time it comes out so yeah. another way of doing it is to sort of do a a bit of a performance piece or do something physical or just do a like a breakdown basically that uh, in some way sums up the anger and fear or or uh frustration that a lot of people on both sides of the argument are feeling so rather than going for something specific it was more like how can I reflect the craziness of where we were uh, at the turn of the year? And that was sort of it. Um, I I have, and I don't quite know how this has happened, but I, I have got naked on television uh, quite a few times over the last few yes. years. And so, was, and and trust me, I'm I'm not that guy. <laughs> uh, but I just happen to be. I, I've done quite a lot of work with Julia Davis, and I think sort of with that comes a, a contractual amount of nakedness. You know, um, anyone who knows Julia's work. So, um, I I am strangely sort of uh, inured to it. I'm I'm slightly immune to it. Uh, it I still find it stressful. <laughs> In the moment, I know I can do it, and and oddly, it is kind of a cheap gag. But I would argue that. Um, male nudity, oddly, is not something you see very much of on TV. No. Uh, sort of, I mean, like full nudity. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I am happy to be at the sort of vanguard of, <laughs> <laughs> of bringing bringing the willy back. Um, I, 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 I don't know why. I, I think I've done a few scenes in my time where I have not had to be naked, but an actress has, for instance. Um, basically, sort of sex scenes mm. and. There is always a sort of imbalance there, yeah. And it's and although I think sort of film and TV productions got better, I think it's probably been pretty rubbish in the past at making sort of actresses feel comfortable being naked, and and a lot of the time it's kind of unnecessary. And I've, I've there've been a couple of couple of situations I've been in where yeah, actresses have just not been well treated in those circumstances. And so I, I've always sort of thought, well, I don't know, as an actor, there's. 50 years probably of of not having to be naked sort of built up now and i kind of think well if we're asking sort of actresses to do that to do that particularly in this kind of climate now it feels only right that some men <laughs> sort of do something similar um which makes me out to be some sort of you know suffragette <laughs> mother Teresa figure i'm not but uh, I, I i i sort of in that situation the kind of I don't know the kind of the, the weird good ethics of yeah. getting your willy out, sort of for a comic a comic scene. Uh, kind of pushed it, pushed it to the final draft, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
and and I'd never write it for someone else. I'd be, I'd be mortified at sort of writing it for someone else. I'd never ask someone to do that. I'd feel way too conflicted. So oh, yeah. if, if I'm doing it, I, I feel that you know it's on me and I can control that. I mean, did you at least get a closed set for that day? I mean, it looks like a real o- looks like a real office block. It was a real office, oh. and it was on the fifth floor, and it was a completely <laughs> glass office as well. Um, and so we did it on a Sunday, and there was no one else there. But there was a massive uh, student accommodation uh, <laughs> building opposite us in Farringdon, and yes, mid uh, mid frenzy, um, I did see the curtains twitch and someone sort of wake up at about ten a.m. to see to be presented with me. <laughs> At full uh, full force. So to whoever that was, I, I apologise. Yeah. <laughs> you can that. That's a weird thing. You can only people talk about locked sets, but weirdly, you can't lock a set as yeah. much as one thinks one can. Mm. Um, there's always there's always some <laughs> member of the public, some civilian, who just wanders in and wonders what the hell they've you know <laughs> done to deserve this. Did you find writing uh, the second series more challenging, or, or is it easier once you've set up those characters? I found it easier. I you've set up the characters and a lot of a lot of the to and fro of writing something the first time around is character and working out how they talk. And and so in the first series, once you've done that, uh you, you learn a lot from first series. You learn a lot. The first series was quite gentle, it was nice and I think that was important and, and it really broke through for a lot of viewers and that was nice to have a sort of a comedy that was uncynical. Uh, which was sort of the idea. But then in the second se- series, I wanted to push that and push push the characters into slightly more desperate situations. And so even Sammy, our hero from Damascus, we see him losing his losing his mind and being sort of aggressive at times in ways that we didn't see him before. Um, and seeing me lose my <laughs> lose my, my rag and seeing Rebecca Staten. Uh, so, so I think because you're sort of ticking off things you've done in a first series, the second series, you're kind of looking to push things into sort of possibly more uncomfortable areas. And, and I think that's probably what we did a little bit of. I mean, the cast, um, as, you, as you've just alluded to, is, is amazing. I mean, Rebecca, like she can carry a monologue like no nobody else. Like she has so much to say yeah. in her, her speeches. It's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I always give her the big stuff because... Um, yeah, she uh, she's always been brilliant, but Raised by Wolves, which was a thing she did with Catla Moran for Channel 4, really showed her off to have this ability to, yeah, basically do a page of dialogue, <laughs> but but not make it look as if she's learnt it, to look utterly spontaneous, and you hang on her every word. She's very, very special sort of on screen, very hard to do that and maintain interest and stuff. And I, So, yeah, it was a bit of a superpower she has that... Yeah. Um, we sort of lent into a bit more in series two. And then since uh, the first series of Home, Youssef has been in absolutely everything. I know. he's he's ki- He was king of TV over Christmas. <laughs> he was the kind of the weird un- unsung king of TV. I think uh, genuinely, I mean, he's been working for a long time. He's popped mm. up in a lot of stuff, but he won't mind me saying this, uh, mainly as a terrorist. <laughs> you know, he has an incredibly uh, vigorous bushy beard that looks terrific when it's paired with an ak-47 so he's (laughs) so he's done his you know strike backs and he's done his jack ryan's and he's you know he's played heavies basically a lot um but he he in home he just suddenly discovered or we discovered this incredible lightness of touch that he has and an amazing sort of gentleness uh which i don't think too many people had asked him to explore before and i think the moment 
the industry particularly sort of saw him in home. It was a, a no-brainer. So he ended up in, particularly over Christmas, he ended up in Gavin and Stacey. Yes. He has a beautiful scene with Ruth Jones where he uh, he opens the door to her carol singing or something. It was it was really beautiful. And um, then he was in Dracula. He sort of bossed that beautiful episode two of Dracula. Uh, and he was in Baghdad Central, which was a huge uh, Iraq-based uh, thriller for Channel Four, and and was uh, yeah in home. He just he w- he wouldn't shut up for about <laughs> sort of three months. <laughs> and frankly, if COVID gives us anything, it's a break from Yusuf Kakur. Before I let you back to your your normal life of um, homeschooling and presumably catching up on PE with Joe, if you haven't done it already this morning. No, I haven't done it. No, I can't do it. Actually, sort of, fitness is the one thing I need to reintroduce into my life. I, 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 we're not up that time, or if we are up that time, we're doing breakfast. And the last thing I want to do is jump around with uh, poor old Joe Wicks. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I will at some stage. Um, but there is an American version of Homecoming. Is that is that right? Yes, there is. There is. Everything is slightly sort of all over the place right now in the British TV industry and in yeah. the American. Um, but uh, yes, Ben Stiller uh, basically saw Home last year and kind of uh, bought it. And um, it's very exciting. And uh, he is a, uh, these days, he's, he's a UN ambassador to Syria. And and I'm not sure just Syria. I think he, he spent a lot of time there, but he's more of a refugee spokesperson now. And I think when we hear that from Hollywood stars, there's often a kind of cynical bone in our body that kind of goes, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, you're doing it for PR. He's the real deal. He spends most of his year on the road going to Homs and Aleppo and these places I've never been to. You know, he is incredibly grassroots and very passionate and sort of all he does now. Um, He he directs as well. He doesn't act really all that much. But he wants to... Uh, yeah, we're developing a pilot with him, which he's going to direct. And uh, it's very exciting. And um, uh, it looks like I'll be co-writing that. Oh, and wow. We're looking for our co-writer who uh, we want to be American. We want to be of a suitable sort of background. So yeah. um, we're sort of reading scripts and interviewing people. But the, the basic story is established. We yeah. sort of know how I think the US version is going to work, which is very exciting. So I think the moment... Um, that we're allowed to travel, I'll be sort of out there, uh, sort of uh, beginning to kind of put that together with them. Um, so it's really exciting. It's great. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm also writing writing a pilot for one of my sort of heroes, actually, which is, I, unfortunately, I can't, yeah, I can't name, but the BBC, uh, the BBC have um, tempted back someone who hasn't been on, BBC screens for a while and Ooh. it's just one of those one of those five ten names that you will watch in anything or certainly I will and uh it's um Ooh, yeah, very, exciting. very very exciting and slightly daunting to uh come up with a script for him um uh and yeah so that's that's really that that will get me through the next kind of couple of months at least Rufus thank you so much for taking the time out today to talk to me Cheers, man. Not at all. Stay well. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm dying to know the TV legend who's coming back. Who do you think it is? Do let me know on socials at Quarantine Break. 
Rufus was such a legend for doing this episode. As you've heard, he's been keeping himself pretty busy with a hundred or so projects and homeschooling and everything else. So a huge thank you to him for joining me. This has been episode two of the Quarantine Break podcast. I was absolutely blown away by the reaction to episode one, and I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Please subscribe, share, and why not give me a rating on Apple Podcasts? Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you again very soon. But in the meantime, please stay indoors. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.